I'm effing tired of losing to Purdue. I'm not here to F around this week. Now you may be, but I'm not. Now I'm going to effing guarantee you that if you don't play up there Monday night, you aren't going to believe the next four effing days. Bob Knight, 1991. Whoa, I mean, this is a preview episode and callbacks are funny. And I thought that I wasn't allowed to say, let's break it off and hit them with a preview because of the R. Kelly. But are you sure that we're allowed to to say that speech and deliver it here on the podcast? I mean, I, I tried to censor it somewhat. So so hopefully it's okay. I know that there's still quite a big fan base that that loves Bobby Knight. I, I think we had decided, I think when we watched the documentary, uh, and and by the way, welcome to Who Who Hail, a championship podcast. This is our preview week of the uh, of rivalry week, week 12, I guess week 14 with all the bye weeks, but mm-hmm. the 12th game of college football for everybody where all the rival games come out. And we have decided ever since we saw the 30 for 30, which we still haven't finished because Kathy Chan keeps falling asleep. Um, not that it's not interesting. It's like really great. But we had decided that this was the week, the preview, yep. you would have to give this speech. And I think you did a bang up job of giving it. Thank you. And so, but it really does spark a really interesting issue where you started a Twitter account and you've been following sort of the threads a lot closer about sort of the legend of Bobby and the nostalgia for him, despite all that we know about him. And you also ask a lot of people when we visited Bloomington. So just trying to take the pulse as the resident Hoosier on this podcast that has been teaching me about Hoosiers, all I know is it's a synonym for basketball in America. And so how would you take the fan base's pulse on Bobby Knight? And, And if you like, say for instance, if you heard that speech, are you like, pumped up are you like angry are you you know like i i feel i feel pumped up i feel ready to run through a raw to beat purdue i think most people would be pumped up just based off what i've seen and so it's there's a joke that i saw on twitter it might have been on crimson quarry that the average twitter fan that's tweeting about iu sports or basketball must be a male between the ages of 25 and and 35 if not older i think it actually might have been 35 to 45 because those are the people that were alive um during the bobby knight days and can remember and i think you definitely check the boxes on that demographic right male i I do the only sad thing is i did not pay attention um during the 90s when i was a kid so I remember hearing about him and, and knowing he was a legend, but beyond that, I didn't really grow up with that fandom that so many people did. And so really what I know about Bobby Knight is from 30 for 30. And I mean, that paints a picture that's probably not the most complimentary. Um, and so it's interesting because what I've seen on Twitter, everyone's pro Bobby. Everyone wants him back. He's synonymous with being a legend. He's a synonymous with who's your basketball um, so many people like want him back, even though he's well into his 80s now. And I've heard his health isn't the best. He's actually living around Bloomington. Um, but any mention of his name, people get so excited. And I even recall one person said something that was contradictory and said, yeah, so you you don't care. You only care about wins. You don't care if he chokes people and, and abuses his players. And I think like right away, a handful of Twitter followers just just jumped on him and and kind of roasted him saying like you know just kind of oh 
like, so you're weak, you don't care about winning, like that kind of stuff. So I think if you pull the average person, especially those that were around at the time, they are pro Bobby Knight. They're big Bobby Knight fans. And I think we have explored the ethics of this, particularly in the context of Tom Izzo, which I'm not calling a strangler by any means. Mm -hmm. But I think Tom Izzo has this really gruff personality. He's like yelling at his players. He's like roasting his point guard in the media. And I think where we ended up, and it's always a little challenging, but this is sort of like a running conversation that me and you have had. But it's um, if you know that the coach is like that, and you're the parents or you're the kid and you go into it both eyes open and Bobby Knight being sort of like a, and by no means is this considered like a endorsement or a condonement of his actions, but he, you know, he coached at West Point. He's like kind of a tough guy and you kind of know, no one, there was a cone of silence around him for the violence. Um, and there's an open question that we keep asking. Is it because it got tougher and tougher to win and he got mm-hmm. more and more caught up, which we don't know because the, as we were talking about documentary ethics, the 30 for 30 is also kind of deliberately maybe uh, obtuse on that question. Like they try to present it as a question, but they don't really answer it. Like whether or not losing made him more angry or he was always like that. We don't know. But that maps neatly on our sort of our understanding of Izzo is, well, if you want to play for like an offensive genius who's going to be classy and nice, tough, but nice, you see John Beeline in media and you choose to play for him. If you think yeah. Izzo is a winner and you need that tough love, like foster lawyers, parents, <laughs> foster lawyers having a tough time, by the way. Um, that's the white guy, awkward backup point guard that backs up cash that I told you is like the worst that big 10 point guy I've ever seen mm-hmm. in my life. Like he is literally worse than John O'Corn as a quarterback for a point guard. Like it's bad. Oh, no. It's really bad. And so, but, but you know, if you're foster lawyers, parents, and you know that you're going to get roasted in the media, but you want your kid to toughen up and you make that choice. Like, I think the moment you pointed out to me this actually, when they won the big 10 championship and Matt McQuaid, who is one of those awkward white boys, I think like, Tom Izzo himself called them weird guys, but like a weird guy that um, that he like grossed in the media. But Matt McQuaid, we both, our eyes were watching him and having destroyed Michigan by sinking eight threes because we had to double uh, Xavier Tillman, who's, who's having a tough year this year, but he looked like an NBA player against us. We had to double him and we doubled off McQuaid and all of Twitter was like, why aren't we playing defense on McQuaid? And it's like, not that we didn't want to, um, but McQuaid had like eight threes and won that game against us. But you pointed this out to me. You were like, McQuaid ran all the way around the court right after the buzzer and jumped into Izzo's arms. He did, yeah. To hug him. Can you imagine jumping into Izzo's arms? Would you ever do that? Like, that, that would, I'm just so scared. Like, I don't think I'd do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the point is that that eyes open thing, I keep asking you, I don't know what your view is on this, but people who pick Bobby Knight, not that guy who got choked by him. Like, what is it? His name starts in the N. Like, what's his name? Noah? No. The guy who got choked. I forget. It was Neil. 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 That's what it is. Like, he yeah, was Yeah, his name just... was Neil. I'm on his last name. Yeah. Like, he was wrecked, right? Like, in the video, he looked bad. He was in Europe. He was playing basketball. He he just looks mm-hmm. like a shell of his... Because he was, like, the... Docu- and this is all, like, a documentary slant, right? But he was, like, killing it. He was gritty. He was, like, stepping back up to Izzo. He was pushing his on the court. He was leading the team with his greediness. And then he got choked and he didn't seem like the same guy because I think the whole cone of silence 
enfor- enforce yeah. the omerta on him, right? And so then he kind of like just he was like a shell on the documentary when he testified. And the way that the ESPN documentary set it out was he testified and then they show the clip and you're like, oh my God, like, you know, we both had that feeling. Um, but so my question to you, having said all that, mm-hmm. is um, how much drives this fandom for Bobby Knight? Like, first of all, these are men. Second of all, these are young men that are getting trained. And third of all, they picked him to be trained by him. Therefore, if it's tough, it's just kind of like young men being yeah. trained. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can kind of compare it to to signing up for, for the Army or the Marine Corps, right? Like, you you know you're going to put yourself in dangerous situations. Obviously, it's not that extreme. You're not serving your country here. But you are playing for a basketball team. You chose a coach who – there's a code of silence, but I think people are savvy enough to kind of know what's going on. Um, I think, Jeff, when we were talking, I compared it to signing up for an investment banking job because you know – you're going to be working a hundred hour weeks. You know, you're not going to have a life, but you still choose to go do it. And you sound and, like a lady with you know, personal you're experience. You're getting paid as much as you are. I may or may not have had personal experience in the, in this area. And it, I, I did go into it, but then I opted to leave. Um, but did you go so into eyes open? It, it like, is or... interesting. Um, I knew what else. It's funny. Cause I actually knew twice. I interned. And I experienced it firsthand and I hate, I, I, I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. And I kind of knew consulting was a better career path for me, but I still went back for more, um, for full time. Yeah. And I I mean, and it's like, you know, we, we drew some analogies, right? Like investment banking, you get the status, the training, the prestige and, you know, IU basketball, Mm -hmm. you get the five stars. Like if I feel like Neil's like a Hoosier by birth, right? The state and the team yep. name are synonymous, right? So if you're Mr. Basketball in Indiana, where else would you go? Like, and to play for the best, like exactly. that's sort of, right? So I think maybe some of the, and I'm not justifying some of that, those stories are a little crazy, but I think that is my suspicion when someone says, oh, you know, what's the big deal? Yeah, I mean, Neil probably grew up his whole life having people say like, you're going to play for Bobby Knight one day. Um, and, and so he probably didn't feel like he had much choice and he probably knew he was going into a tough situation, but I think until it actually happens to you, um, it's hard to fully imagine going through that. So given that this legend casts such a wide shadow, I mean, we're out here starting Purdue week, uh, with his quote, you know, and it's, it's interesting too, to me as a total aside that you're both football rivals, but also basketball rivals. Maybe maybe more basketball rivals than football rivals because you're mm-hmm. like, basketball and you know I guess I came to it late but I think a Purdue is having a really good basketball team uh, with Coach Painter one of the best coaches um, but but you know so but it's interesting because like Michigan probably I think we would say that we're more you know we're not really rivals with Ohio State in basketball like the two schools are just rivals but that's not really the sport that people that captures people's uh, attention and I think it's like you play multiple times a year um there isn't like one game high noon Thanksgiving that decides it you know so it's like mm, like basketball but I think yeah. I, I get the sense from Bobby Knight's quote that it really is that big of a deal you know like if he if his team lost to Purdue on Monday <laughs> it would be terrible right like if he, they'd have a terrible time um 
<laughs> and so yeah so, no that's exactly what it feels like I sorry I cut you off no no go ahead oh no I was gonna say like based on his quote 100 percent Purdue is seen as a big um basketball rival and as you said um if they didn't win that Monday night I just oh man I can't even imagine what happened to the players yeah and I think you know just mapping on how supportive Tom Allen is like can you imagine Tom Allen giving a speech like that? I, I really wonder, like, Tom Allen's speech is going to be like, you all are wonderful. I really love you. You should love each other. Let's have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Like, I think if Coach Allen came out with a Bobby Knight impersonation, I mean, I think his team would just laugh. They'd be like, actually, Tom, that's a good one. Ha ha ha. <laughs> actually, I think I might have given it too soft. Like, I think he he's still, like, fired up. But it's, like, a fired up, like, love each other have a good time right like i I gave it the wrong tone but content i did good but like it's like love each other have a good time we're gonna celebrate we're gonna go out there and then he'll cry when you win the sixth game right it's more like that i think it's more like that that's true yeah i wonder if he'll cry if we take the bucket this year we'll just have to see yeah but then so archie archie will be like he'll be very like i don't know i'm like doing coach impressions of your coaches and they're all bad ones but i think archie would be like we played a really solid game and I thought our players showed up with preparation. Like he's just like very like business-like, right? You know, like, oh, like very, it's like, it's like, uh, I think one guy yeah, that we talked cool. to. And so I think w- what we're, you know, given that giant, uh, sh- yeah, he's just really business-like. So, I mean, you, you had something to say. Yeah, I was going to say, so I actually watched him after uh, Indiana play Louisiana, Louisiana Tech. Um, this week in basketball and they played the first half really well, but they looked like a completely different team in the second half. And Archie comes out and he's clearly like, you see his face. He's so pissed um, with the team. Like there's just no mistake in it. But when asked about it, he's just like, yeah, we didn't look like ourselves out there. I'm disappointed. The boys you know, fought hard. It's just very businesslike, like no emotion, as you said. And it was funny because his face just gave away everything. And why, um, why was he pissed by the way? Just tell us how the game went just a little bit. Oh yeah. I mean, I think the first half Devonte green really shown as a leader of the team, like you and I had talked about and kind of expected him to do. Um, you had, you know, a lot of players scoring in the double digits and, and they were playing really well on both ends of the ball. Um, the second half of the game, I mean, luckily, Louisiana Tech gave up a bunch of turnovers as well, but Indiana gave up so many turnovers. I mean, I think they tried to average less than 12 a game, and I think, you know, halfway through, like, the third quarter, they had already reached 15. Um, It wasn't pretty. And, sorry, not quarter. Halfway through the second half, they had already um, reached 15. So it just just looked super sloppy. Um, They were, like, passing kind of irresponsibly, um, no one looked coordinated or like, or knew what they were doing. I think Devonte may have had maybe one point in the second half versus like scoring. I think it was maybe fourteen or fifteen in the first half. So, just complete switch in the team. Um, we have our first big game coming up in the beginning of December against Florida State. Um, we played kind of the easier team so far. So I'm not really sure how how we'll do. I think we're on a good winning streak. I mean, everyone's saying this is the first time in many years that we've had a 6-0 winning streak. Um, but we've also played 
very easy teams. I think Louisiana Tech has been the toughest. Um, they're not ranked like 200 and something like the other teams have been. And and so I don't know. I'm still on the fence about this team this year. Obviously, I'm rooting for them, but we'll see how the December schedule goes. Yeah, I think, you know, that, I mean, we, that game was, you know, I, I think Devontae Green, the moment that I saw him play basketball, the first time I set my eyes on him, and this is compared to a freshman fantasy, right? Which I'm still not sold about. Although you tell me that this year your freshmen are good and fantasy is good. Um, but um, but uh, I set my eyes on Devontae Green and I was just, there's just some flair to his game. I really like how he handles the ball, his court vision, just he just plays with some flair. And I think I was kind of a, um, I kind of a, um, the coach acknowledged it after, you know, training camp this year where he said, Devontae's got some city to his game, uh, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so, so the, like, I guess what I saw was what everyone sees, right? Like, no, I mean, not like the most yeah. insightful insight. Um, but so the, the interesting thing that we, and, and, you know, we asked a lot of people, we probably shouldn't name them, but we asked a lot of people about sort of given that what, what I was about to say was that given this giant legend in the shadow, he catch, he casts, on everything, Bobby Knight, the five stars, how tough it is at Indiana. And I think one other team that's sort of like that, that I've been talking a lot about is Florida State for football. So Jimbo won a title, Bobby Bowden yeah. won a lot of t- couple titles, and they fired their coach this year, Willie Taggart. And that's a hard job because like, mm-hmm. if you if you go, you have the albatross of expectations. Like all the fans are used to winning titles. And, but, but the structural factors that have led you to win those titles no longer exist. So an example of that is your new rival, Nebraska, where like Scott Frost just got an extension and you're like, you're roasting him too. You're like, for what? Like what extension? Why? Uh, And I was telling you, you know, if you think about um, the, uh, the structure of why Nebraska was good before, like they were in the black big 12, like they had recruiting, they were in front of, you know, audiences where they're playing Oklahoma as a rivalry game and they took the Big Ten TV money and now no one cares and no one wants to play there. And so it's impossible to recruit. And so that's a tough job. Florida State's a tough job. And I honestly think with Bobby Knight and the five stars and the and the super sort of like intimidating five banners in the legendary Assembly Hall. And what I was saying is that I've never been in a place where the fans know exactly what the call is before the refs make it. So they start mm-hmm. cheering and booing before the call. And then if the refs make the right call, they cheer harder. And then if they make the wrong call, they boo harder. But they're literally like 10 to 15 seconds faster. And that's the fan base that you have to coach in front of, which is another factor that makes it a really hard job. And so I think that, you know, our question that I try to ask you is, well, you know, um, or, or we were trying to ask everybody was, how does, you know, what do you think about Archie? And will you give us a sense of like where, again, like I asked you about Bobby Knight, will you give us a sense of like where the fan base stands on Archie? Like just the people that you know and the people that we talk to. Yeah. I mean, I think in, in general, just what I see from the media, people aren't happy. I mean, they're like, why are we always on the bubble? We didn't even win the NIT, let alone we can't even make it to the dance. 
um, people are pretty disappointed. And you hear over and over, people are saying, we think he's got one more year um, just to prove himself. Otherwise, he's just not going to cut it. But when we asked a couple people in person this week in Bloomington, um, we were actually surprised because they were very pro-RG. I think they looked at some of the work he had done in Dayton and they were just very, what they said, which you and I kind of disagreed with based on what we had seen firsthand last year, but they made comments like, Archie runs an incredible offense. He just really knows what he's doing. And and Jeff, what was your response to that? Yeah, I think like they said that um, like the rigid offensive system was one, good for recruiting because you recruit and you can sell mm-hmm. a recruit. And actually they said that not, tailoring the offense um, to like Romeo or or Juwan was actually like a good thing. And I was like, like the fact that he had creative offensive sets. Um, And I was like, those offensive sets against Northwestern were awful, Um, but they presented that as strength. Um, And, and of course we've been talking on this podcast a lot about how, you know, the cream guys and the um, Archie guys don't, didn't mesh. And then there was chemistry issues. And that's why you guys had 16, 17 wins last year, even though you could have easily made the tournament if you played like you played against MSU both times. Um, but they presented that as a strength, which I was kind of confused about. Um, but but I think you've kind of summed up how good Archie, you know, I think even your brother was really like, still like, let him get his players in and run his system and see what happens. Yeah, I don't think my brother has followed us closely, but he's definitely like, let's at least give him another year and and see what happens. Yeah. And so I think, you know, the really funny thing is so Crimson Corey calls Crean dad because I don't know, he just kind of looks like your dad. He's like a granddad. He's like, you know, he does look like a dad. Related, yeah. Related to the Harbaugh family and by marriage. And I think he's like married to the Harbaugh daughter. Um, yes, that's right. And uh, and so you know they just get together and to talk, talk about sports. It's pretty awesome. But we saw a picture of him in Maui in those crazy Maui outfits um, that they gave the coaches. Like it's like a Hawaiian shirt, and he looks so happy. And so we, I was texting you like, "This is what a man looks like, free from the IU job expectations." That's true. He definitely looked very happy in the picture, and he was like. You know, Izzo was in the picture as well. Um, and Tom Crane definitely had the biggest smile on his face. And so I think not having the Big Ten pressure, let alone the Indiana pressure, um, has been good for him, I think, you know, health-wise and, and just kind of mentally. Yeah, and you were saying, oh, she always looks grouchy. And I was like, oh, man, that's maybe you're taking this one step further than, you know, you don't want to, like, hate on coach. But, I mean, yeah, yeah if you coach basketball – at Georgia, that's like coaching football at Indiana, right? Like everyone comes <laughs> at Georgia, Georgia football, but yeah. it doesn't really matter. So he, he's like free. Um, so so we always joke about you wearing a bow, being like a great honor, honoring Coach Pat Summit, who's a legend, uh, mm-hmm. wearing a bow. Because And the reason why you're wearing a bow is because Archie has this infinite supply of different dark red ties that look amazing. And so we're saying, what would be the equivalent for a lady coach? And you're like, well, maybe I'll have some some dark red bows that I tie in my hair. But you're <laughs> out there and and you're like yelling at people to not lose to Purdue, right? So you, you're ready to take that job if Archie loses his job, get Fred to hire you? 
See, we we talked about how hard that would be, like, because we've debated, should I take that job or should I take the defensive coordinator role in Indiana? I mean, I don't want to take the OC role from Kalen DeBoer because he's doing such a good job. And, and no hating on Kane Walmack. I mean, he's he's good, too. But maybe I can help out with some of the recruiting of, of taller players and getting a bunch of Taiwan Mullins. But but obviously, Jeff, if that job comes to me, I'm never going to turn it down. Like, I'll wear the bow. You know when they call timeouts and all the help, the assistants and stuff kind of rush out bringing the chairs? They'll bring out the chair for me, but I'll have to stand on it um, to even be eye level with some of the players. But But I'll do it. Bring it. Yeah, I think you know we were saying literally that was why you guys lost the game, right? We 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 already we already um you know we already set it out like it's those crazy passes. The you know if you had four Taiwans, then then you'd win and mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, maybe not win, but it'd be close. And then when you guys were down thirty-two to fourteen, and you had to like go four wide and catch up, and that's just not the team, not the quarterback, not your game. Um, and that is what explained the strip sack, um, strips, strip fumble, sack recovery, touchdown sequence, you know? Um, so, so yeah. So can I tell you a joke about rivalry week? Sure, Jeff, go ahead. What's the joke? Okay. So the joke is, um, an Indiana student walks into a bar with a Purdue student. And this is totally a joke stolen from Crimson Quarry. So let's give him full credit for this joke. But the Indiana student yells banners, uh, which we talked about. And the Purdue student yells moon and everyone else walks out of the bar. Okay. So that's funny. Um, What's up with the moon part and Purdue? (laughs) So that's, that's so great because they tell you the joke and you're like, ha ha, that's funny. But I was like, probably week, like, you know, and, And you're like, moon, what? And and I say, well, because Purdue, not only did Neil Armstrong go to Purdue, but they also like engineered some of the stuff that got us to the moon. And they celebrate the anniversary of the moon landing with like a symposium, engineering, all that. And you're like, you're like, I mean, you had like three comebacks that were all very funny. Yeah. I mean, no respect to Neil Armstrong, but I had to look him no. up because I was like, did this man go to Purdue? Yeah. Yeah. But your funny comebacks are... Number one, I don't know anything about my rivals. I don't care to yeah. learn anything about mm-hmm. them. Number two was um, number two was um, a sad one because you referenced the moon game. Oh yeah, between Michigan and Northwestern, and, Northwest. and, like, and that's the terrible yeah. that's the terrible game where like it's Michigan Northwestern and it's zero zero on national TV, and it's the most farcical comical game ever. That's just the moon game. But your other two were even better, so I don't want to steal your thunder. Yeah, so so I made a joke back because um, because I didn't know that Neil Armstrong had gone to Purdue and kind of that history. So I said to Jeff, "Well, that's why I went to a school that cares about banners." Um, but no respect to disrespect to Indiana. I mean, some of the smartest people I know went there. And then the other joke that I had um, was that this really reminded me of that clip from Dumb and Dumber. So Jim Carrey's in a bar, he was waiting for this girl and she, you know, didn't show up. And on his way out, he sees a sign, um, a a newspaper clip like on the wall. And it says like, man landed on the moon. And he looks at it and he's like, whoa, that's great. 
And then he leaves the bar and he's like, we landed on the moon, um, which I just found to be so funny. Um, so my apologies for Neil Armstrong um, for, for not. That's definitely a Purdue bar, right? Um, it's like a West Lafayette bar that Jim Carrey is on, right? If they have that on the wall. Oh, it actually wasn't. He was in Aspen because he was looking for, for this lady he liked. <laughs> okay. But maybe a Purdue alum runs that bar. Maybe. Yeah. It could have been a Purdue <laughs> um, sports bar. Yeah. 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 Purdue <laughs> bar. So, so, so I have sort of, I guess the other question I have for you is, Kathy, before we get into the, um, you know, the previews and the nitty gritties, um, my question for you is, what did you do to beat Purdue this week and today? And it's actually pretty funny because I was reading articles uh, about this in uh, the Usherman article that you sent me. And apparently, like, Tom Allen just very similar to Brady Hoke. He has all this, like, what did you do to beat Purdue stuff memorabilia around the locker room <laughs> like at all times of the year so it's not just like it's time for the game it's like you show up you know in september and it's and it's there and and, and so, so the question is what did you do to be for you today or this week jeff i actually did a lot um so on our way back to chicago from um memorial stadium we obviously drive by west lafayette and we make the decision to go and tag the big 18-foot Boilermaker statue um, with none other than the candy cane striped scarf that I had received and mentioned in the first half um, of this podcast episode when we talked about the IU-Michigan game. And so we, you know, drive into West Lafayette, we um, immediately find Ross Aid, the hyphen stadium, um, and then we, you know, look for this huge Boilermaker statue. And d- did you know that there was a statue or, or I did I, not. how did you know? The second we decided we were going to go try to jinx them, I looked up statue um, and then, of course, picked the most obnoxious looking one. If it's obviously not a former president or anything like that. Because um, was- we were saying like, you know, Mr. Purdue, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, we, we didn't he was a big philanthropist. He paid for the school. We were like, oh, we going to bother him. But this kind of like, I guess this Boilermaker actually kind of looks kind of cool because I feel like the mascot looks like dumb as hell. I was going like, say like this statue is actually a lot cooler than that goofy mascot guy that we actually need to confirm if this, why the solid purple guys made that their cover photo. We think. I think it's actually like for the same reason that they, um, that did, did you see the uh, Crimson Quarry put up this account where like, Essentially, this whole meme account is like a Purdue fan account. And what they do is they uh, superimpose a picture of the boiler looking weird onto like Maoist communist era. I did see um, that. I did see that. So it's all this like, you know, military imagery, Mm -hmm. which kind of fits with the Boilermaker statue. But then there's this goofy, goofy as hell, like, you know, the face of Purdue Pete on all this sort of communist era imagery. And it's just funny as hell. It is. It is really funny. I meant to ask you about that. Um, just because, yeah, I found it really funny. Um, but, you know, before we drove into West Lafayette, I was telling Jeff, like, West Lafayette's really ugly. Like, it doesn't compare to Bloomington. Um, you know, my thoughts still stand. I think Bloomington definitely has the prettier campus just because, 
there's kind of more of a woodsy feel. You've got a river going through the middle of campus. West Lafayette just kind of felt like no hate, but it just felt like there was a bunch of buildings. Um, you know, Ross A didn't look that bad. Um, I'm still biased towards Memorial um, Stadium, but but it was- you might be the only person who likes Memorial Stadium, but. But I mean, good for you. <laughs> it's great. Um, but but I don't know. It was it was nice. I think, you know, the statue stuck out like a sore thumb. So we park, we walk to it. The thing's huge. And my initial plan was I'm going to wrap my scarf like around this guy's leg or arm or whatever I can reach, knowing that he was 18 feet tall. Um, so we get to it and it's standing atop this plinth. And um, that's probably, what would you say, Jeff, was maybe like seven feet tall? Um, it was definitely um, The tr- plinth was taller than you. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was taller than you. And I think a normal, average, athletic person could have definitely climbed up it at a decent because the Because pl- the plinth wasn't like, it wasn't like smooth or slanted or whatever. There was like enough places to like get some leverage, especially if I boosted you. You think. But Jeff has seen me attempt to climb fences and, and it's not pretty, but um, I I get scared. Um, I definitely get scared when I'm trying to climb anything um, with a fear of falling. So I was not really up for climbing. Jeff offered to boost me and I was like, how am I going to get down? And he was like, I'll catch you. It's fine. But I looked around. I saw some cars kind of standing around and I knew okay, like it's probably going to take me like a half hour to even try to get up there, let alone come down. So it just wasn't in the cards for me, unfortunately. But um, but you ended up you ended up like tagging um, the statue, right? You ended up tagging it um, just by, you know, our picture of you wearing a candy cane scarf in your IU sweater. Yeah, yeah. I wore the sweatshirt. I wore this scarf and I boasted it loud and proud. I guess I stood in front of the plinth. So we can say I tagged the whole statue um, just opposed to a part of it and didn't get arrested in the process. So that was really fun. Will you give us, uh, oh, will you, uh, I, I think, you know, just remind the listeners, tell us about your Oaken Bucket uh, luncheon again, once more for people who are listening to this episode. I think it's a story worth retelling. And then, um, and then, give us the battle for the oaken bucket like tell us about the trophy since it's rivalry week tell us about your encounter with the trophy how it came to be and how that lunch was obviously more purdue football fans than iu ones but uh give it to us yeah so the oaken old oaken bucket lunch was was so much fun i'm so glad i went when i first got there I approach a, um, a sign that says, welcome Purdue alumni. And I was like, am I in the wrong place? Like what's going on? I knew it was a joint lunch, but I wasn't expecting just a giant Purdue sign. I thought there might be like an IU one too. And I asked the lady, like, am I in the right place? And she said, yeah, just go upstairs. So I go upstairs. And when I get there, I'm literally in a sea of gold and black. Um, there was just no denying it. And the welcome table had like welcome Purdue alumni. It had Purdue name tags. It was like elaborate. And I saw nothing for IU. So again, I was like asking the lady, am I in the right spot? And she was like, oh yeah, the IU guy's running late. 
And then she points to the empty table next to her and she was like, this is the IU sign in. Um, and so I tweeted a picture of that and I said, oh my gosh, so typical of someone from Purdue to say that. But, um, you know, I, I went in, I managed to find a small huddle of about maybe five IU alumni. Um, they were sticking out in red. I wore my IU red sweater that I actually got a compliment on um, from the guest speaker. And so I'll get into that. But um, some people, most of us had chosen not to wear a name tag because we were not going to put a Purdue name tag on. Um, but a lot of people had actually. Oh, no, the name tags were the name tags were Purdue. They were Purdue. So there wasn't like an. So there was I'll, no IU name tags. No, because the guy wasn't there. And so it was so funny because you would introduce yourselves and then I'd be like, oh, my God, I don't know anyone's names because like none of <laughs> some people like took a name tag and they crossed out Purdue. Um, and they, oh, that's also funny. That's yeah. That's nice. Yeah. But a lot of people like me just opted to go without name tags and then you would like not know anyone's names. But how is the trophy? Like you didn't tell us about the history behind the trophy and like what it was like just aesthetically, like holding it, taking a photo of it, seeing it, like what's the trophy, the background and what's special about it, the eyes and the P's you got to tell us all about it because I, I was fascinated and I didn't know about that until this year. Yeah. I mean, the trophy's really cool. It's just a, it's a typical bucket. I don't know how else to describe it, but what's really unique about it is that, and I think this tradition started in, in 1925, but um, depending on who takes the bucket that year, so who wins between IU and Purdue, there's a string of P's and I's and you get to add a P and an I um, for for whoever wins that year. And so, unfortunately, I think Purdue is winning the series like by 20 or so. Like they're winning by quite a lot. Um, so there are a lot more P's and I's on the bucket. But the bucket's really cool. And I got to stand next to the real one and take a picture with it. Because I never know if like a, a trophy or statue is the real one or not. So I was able to verify that this oaken bucket was the real one. Yeah, we've had historic issues with that, like just like the Big Ten trophy kind of like floats around, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, our historic issues have been like, you know, is this the real Big Ten trophy? Is this the not? You know, um, and uh, and so that's something that we've been sort of working on. Uh, but that was definitely the real trophy, and it's kind of cool that you know it's the Chicago Alumni Club that uh, that made this happen. So mm -hmm. that's that's really cool to me. Um, so. So you saw the bucket, and so we're playing for it this week. Uh, so tell us how that game's going to look like. Yeah, so I'm happy to say that Indiana is seven and four, whereas Purdue is four and seven, um, which is much better than the past two years because both teams would be at five and six um, playing for the bucket, at which Purdue took the last couple of years. And so I'm really excited for this game. I, I, I want Indiana. Indiana will take this game seriously. Um, but I, I, I don't think we have too much to worry about. Um, you know, our running game and our defense can definitely step up. I think if there is anything to worry about, it might be Aiden O'Connell, who ironically is Purdue's third string quarterback. Um, but he's not that bad. I mean, he, the past few games, he's been, um, he helped Purdue win a couple games. The game against Madison last week, he threw 289 yards with two scores, even though he was facing constant pressure from the Badgers. 
And so if I use secondary is as bad as people are saying, um, which we clarified earlier might not actually be the case, um, we might have some troubles. So that's I think they're well coached. Yeah. But I think they're they are small. Um, and you know, they're 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 very well coached. I guess, you know, the problem with playing Michigan is we have four NFL receivers. So whoever Taiwan's on for the play, that you know, that 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 person's like stuck. But I mean, even Taiwan against Nika, we saw um, you know, against DPJ, we saw like I think they put Taiwan on DPJ because DPJ is the like quote unquote best, most athletic hardest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Nika is just like a mismatch anyway you do it, you slice it. So you might as well put put get DPJ out. You know, Nico might be a bit taller. But, you know, I think Purdue, of course, is um, like completely decimated, literally. Like all their main players are hurt. But you have a couple players hurt as well. We do too. Uh, yeah. The difference. Will you tell us here, about. I was going to say the difference this year is that we're already bowl eligible. So really our goal, we're trying to get our, like our eight wins, which will be the first time that we've been able to do that since 1993. Um, we're also still trying to go on for nine Windiana um, because it's technically, it's still in play. Um, if we beat Purdue, we need to win every game we play for the rest of the season. We need to beat Purdue and then we need to win our, our bowl game. Um, but that dream is still alive. Whereas for Purdue- And that was- Always part of the plan, right? Like, mm-hmm. beat Purdue. Um, well, I think maybe not Purdue, but like you know, but Purdue now is super injured. Yeah. But it involved winning the bowl game. Yeah, yeah, and and for Purdue, we talked about last week. We don't want a hungry Purdue to come out if they have five wins, and so luckily they only have four wins. The Badgers were able to beat them, and so really for them, it's like we want to keep the bucket. We don't want in hashtag nine Windiana to happen. Um, and that's kind of the goals that they have. And so I think in terms of who wants this more, it's got to be Indiana. Okay. Well, I think you guys have a good shot. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you give us your preview of the Michigan-Ohio State game in the most annoying way that, I mean, I guess you can just summarize because we never really got to use – because I nixed it. We never really got to use your amazing, like, detailed game notes um, for all the loving game notes that you've taken in 12 episodes. And you were always, like, a little bit offended until I spoofed them on one episode, right? I said, wow, Purdue has the best quarterback ever, the best (laughs) offense ever, the best defense. And I kind of spoofed your game notes. But I think you were saying to me while we were going through the show notes that you don't have that much to say about the Ohio State Michigan game uh, in terms of previewing Ohio State. And I actually don't think that that's completely true because you actually put together game notes for every single game that Ohio State's played. And I've tried to avoid looking at this juggernaut. So why don't you give us a summary? I, you, I mean, I've nixed it so many times and you've put in so much work. Why don't you give us a summary of them? Yeah, essentially, I mean... Their quarterback, Justin Fields, is amazing. Their offense is amazing. Their defense, Chase Young, um, everyone's raving about. He's amazing. And I actually hope, Jeff, you can kind of – I'd be curious to hear from you um, how we think that he will do against Michigan's speed and space. 
Um, but even their special teams are amazing. So just everything is amazing. And this is my way of getting back at you for nixing my notes for the last 12 weeks. Well, I mean, the, the reality of it is that that is how your notes sound. I think, like, <laughs> I read like, <laughs> your game notes and they were like very well written. And I, I really appreciate, you know, you doing it. Sometimes we have so much else to talk about that we don't always get. I think when we started doing the podcast, we would script out a lot more stuff because mm-hmm. we were like worried about not um, making it. Um, but but uh, you... You, you just, I don't know, like you just kind of like a, you're a, um, you're like a, all this lovely game notes um, and, and that we don't get to use and you, <laughs> but, but I would read the Ohio State ones and it's just like, oh man, like I can't read this. We can't use this. <laughs> this is too good. Um, so, um, so thank you for doing that. Um, our, uh, I hope you're not too offended. I mean, it's a really good thing that we have too much to talk about. Yeah, no, I agree. So honestly, the matchup that I'm worried about is up front on defense. We don't really have a defensive tackle as good as the one last year that could take a double team and eat up the blocks. And so I think those, you know, 355, 350 pound, six foot four Wisconsin cheese curd boys really destroyed us with Jonathan Taylor. And I think I'm still mad at you when we were watching that Ohio State, Michigan State game. And you're like, wow, J.K. Dobbins, he like breaks into a second level and just keeps going. And you're like, whoa, he's actually good. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, this is a real run game. And I think one of the big debates sort of on our run game is we haven't run at all against Michigan State or Indiana. And I think it was because Shave has for close to 400 yards both games, so we didn't need to run. And so a lot of people are like, can we run? Are we not able to run? Um, but I think we ran against Notre Dame, and it looked fine. So I think we just haven't needed to. But there, I mean, the question still remains is, are we rusty? So our run game, I don't know how that's going to look. Uh, Ohio State's run game against our defensive tackle, I think that's a huge one, like a huge number one matchup that I'm worried about. And then the second matchup that I'm worried about is what you said, Chase Young, which is if Chase Young blitzes, um, they call a blitz against Shea, how much time does Shea have to set up, you know, because Gaddis is, we talked about it several episodes ago, Gaddis is holding the pen. It depends on Shea to not be rattled and cycle through his options. Yeah. And if Chase Young's on top of Shea, uh, that's going to be a problem. So the, in the past 19 games, the team that has run more yards has won. And obviously, close to all of them are Ohio State. So, so we'll see. That's why I focused on the run game. Um, we'll see. I think, obviously, our secondary is amazing. And our wide receivers are amazing. Um, but we'll come down to how good their run game is compared to ours. Um, on both sides of the ball. I think that's my preview. Okay, and Jess, um, the line is at nine. What's your mm-hmm. prediction? I think it might actually... F- is that a live line? It, well, it's the ESPN line. Oh, I see. Uh, it's fallen a little bit. I think people have put money on... A lot of sentimental bets on Michigan. But mm-hmm. I think uh, I can tell a story for both sides. Like, you know, like uh, Ohio State hasn't played anyone... You know, we're the first good team they play. Um, Shea is the best. This version of Shea is the best quarterback that, you know, 
that Ohio State will have played. I, I, I can tell that story. Um, but I can also tell the story where we were favored going into Columbus and we lost by like 30 points. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm done calling this game. Okay. Um, I'll just let it enjoy. Um, so here's the um, major key segment, which we haven't done one of these in a while because I think a lot of it was for your benefit as you were starting to watch football and you're just, you've gotten so smart so quickly. Um, but one major key segment that I wanted to do uh, was, and we were joking about how we should, instead of naming this major key after DJ Khaled, we should call this segment Urban Analysis after <laughs> the amazing Urban Analysis segment on Fox. Fox. commentating um, is so good. Just so good. Yeah. I mean, like, even Brian Engelblog, who hates Urban Meyer, says, you know, he can see why he's such a great commentator. He's so interesting. We can see why he's a good coach. Um, and I think, but the funny, the really funny thing, I forget where this is from. I wish I remembered who said this. But you can always see that he, because he's a sly fox, he's deciding. He's definitely sharing really good stuff. But he's it's like the martial arts master in a Chinese martial arts novel. He's keeping the really great stuff for himself mm-hmm. in case he has to coach. Um, and you always see that. And so when I think too hard about that, it's bewildering because I'm like, whoa, like this is so good. There's something better. Of course you beat us all the time. It's so not fair. Um, or this is so awesome, you know, so that's sort of how I feel. But so beginning of the game, I said that Peyton Hendershot would be your most reliable, easiest way to get yards. And that turned out to be true. Yeah. And so essentially what I was calling it was a screen pass. And so I'm going to sort of go through. But the idea of a screen pass is that, and as opposed to a downfield pass, is that you're passing behind the line of scrimmage. And it's very much about timing and protection and protecting the quarterback. But basically what it is, is the play starts and you slow it down a little bit and you let everyone, if it's like a screen pass for a running back, you basically have your offensive line push really hard, give them time to push forward. And then you pass the ball to the running back and the running backs running behind the line of scrimmage as they move. And those people that are blocking and creating that space as they're pushing, they're the screeners. So they are the people who are the downfield blockers that are screening um, to give this person that you've given the ball space to run. And so the gap, sort of that space that they create um, is the screen, I guess. And so the reason why it's called a bubble screen, um, and it's interesting, I was reading the history of that and the quote that I saw was like, what's the use of a dink and dunk lateral pass that gets five yards, throw it down the field. Mm-hmm. Um, but the screen pass is a good way to keep defenses honest from blitzing too much or uh, like it's an added wrinkle or playing the downfield pass too much. Um, so the way a bubble screen works is instead of you, you having this offensive line being the people that screen, you bubble out the receiver or the tight end. And then it's your skill players that block and create that screen. So instead of the line of scrimmage, really, because if you think about it, how much push can an offensive line get against a good defensive line? It's like not that many yards, right? Mm -hmm. But if you call a surprise screen and you bubble the wide receiver out to the wide side of the field with lots of room and you have those receivers, if they're playing a downfield pass, the safeties in the corners are going to be like backed up and you run the receivers to block them. 
and you bubble out the person that you're passing the ball to out there and you'll have a lot of room um, for that that's being screened by these blockers. And so that was a great play. Indiana kept running it and you scored two touchdowns off of it. Basically what would happen is you would bubble out Peyton Hendershot into the wide side of the field. So that's literally the wider side with more room. And then you'd have the, it'd be like a, maybe like a bunch play with three receivers, but the receivers aren't actually receivers. They're just setting blocks up field. And then they set the blocks and Peyton Hendershot has like six yards behind them screened. So the tight end bubble screen worked great again. So that is the major key bubble screen. And it works great for you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It looked great, right? For that description. I mean, I, I really appreciate you describing all that because I, I saw it firsthand during the game last week. And I, I can picture exactly what you said, um, but it is a little hard to describe in words. And so thanks for laying that out. Okay. And so to close out our segment, we have, you know, our one city thing inspired by um, the Big Ten Eats, which is a show that we like on Big Ten Network, where they go to all the different college towns and find something delicious to eat. Makes me really hungry. Um, we visited Bloomington. Uh, my one city's thing is kind of lame. So I went, well, it's cool for me, but not cool for anyone else. But uh, Daniel and I went back for the Michigan-Michigan State game. And where we hung out was, so the Law Quad is beautiful. And William Cook donated a lot of money to the Law Quad. It's like a Gothic Oxford-style Law Quad. And one of the stipulations for his donation was if the law school were to build any new building, it would have to match the granite mm-hmm. that the quad is. And so it's super expensive. The law school didn't have that much money in the 70s. And it wasn't as big as now. I mean, my two-hour year, they built an entire new law quad using that rock next door, South Quad. And it's amazing that they found that money. Law school is so expensive. It's like $100,000 a year to go now. Um, but in the 70s, when it wasn't like that, the lawyers being lawyers, they decided that they would build downstairs instead of upstairs. So if they dug a hole in the ground, it wouldn't violate the letter of the contract with Mr. Cook. And so the law library is downstairs. And so on the bottom is sub three, basement three level is sub three. And with an attorney card, you can just go. And so Daniel and I went and I hung out in sub three a lot because the Michigan Law Review offices are there and the conference room is always open. And there's a late night pass that lets you stay there after the library closes. And so that was my one city thing, the law review offices. So Daniel and I kind of hung out there and uh, we were joking that that was like a low key flex for me. Cause I was like, Oh, I was on law review. So I'm hanging out at the conference at the, at the conference room and Daniel being the party animal that he was one out year. Um, there's Rick's American cafe from Casablanca named after Rick's American cafe, which you've seen the beginning of Casablanca, mm-hmm. but Rick's is kind of like this crazy place. And Daniel was like, okay, it's time for me to flex now. So we got to go to Rex because Rick's is my place. Your place is the law of the offices. And I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> but so that, that was my one city thing for Ann Arbor. But then we went to Bloomington the next week. Uh, and so tell us about the one city thing and the time we had there and the nostalgia and the amazing game, the coincidence, the sun devils. Yeah, I, I guess um, thanks for sharing your one city thing. That was so personal. I mean, for me, I got to do Kilroy's. I mean, Kilroy's on Kirkwood. It's an iconic Bloomington bar that's located just one block away from campus. It's right across the street. 
Um, it's famous for its $2 Tuesdays. They hand out free t-shirts every week. Um, and also during kind of my last couple of years at IU, they built out this amazing patio space in the back, um, which is amazing, like in nicer weather. Um, so we decided to go back because I really hadn't gone back to Kilroy's that often. I usually end up at Nick's, um, another bar, but they knew, I think, that alumni would be back because Jeff and I grab a couple of drinks. We're sitting at this table. Um, I'm now at the point in my life where I like to sit at the bar and not stand. So we're sitting, bopping to the music, and the music was this amazing mix of late 90s, early 2000s. So we think it had um, a, a they knew that the alumni were back. We had a feeling. And so Jeff and I sat and, and played a game. When a song came on, we we tried to see if we both tried to see if we agreed or disagreed that the song was nostalgic to us. So I think some of the things that came out, Jeff, were like Skater Boy from Avril Lavigne. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other things that that came on, but they were just so good and nostalgic. Um another thing that happened was that, you know, Kilroy's has some TV screens up at the top above the bar, which features games. Every single TV was featuring the same game. They were playing. It was like a bad Pac-12 game. Yeah, like Washington no versus about. Colorado, which I don't, unless you're from there or went there, I don't know people that really cared. And the game that people did care about was ASU, the Sun Devils versus the Oregon Ducks. And so Jeff actually went up and asked if they could change it. And it was so funny because... I think he did like 15 people a favor because the second that screen changed, everyone came over and hovered around by the TV, which I found to be. Yeah. And they really should have changed it so that people would buy more drinks and they had technical difficulties and it was hard. But the punchline is both times we were in Bloomington last time was uh, the Sun Devils beating MSU in a crazy last minute game. And this time they beat number six, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And so we are big Sun Devil fans on this podcast because of Rod Tidwell in our favorite sports movie, Jerry Maguire. Uh, and so Rod Tidwell famously says, I'm a Sun Devil, Jerry. And um, and so there's clips of it. You can find a GIF of it. It's great. And both times we were um, in Bloomington, it was pretty much the same time and doing the same thing. The Sun Devils won mm-hmm. an unlikely game. And so we were joking that old ball coach, Herm Edwards has to pay us to hang out in Bloomington whenever he wants to pull out the upset, uh, which was great. Did you ever um, order so your shirt? I haven't yet, but I picked it out. Nice. So I'm going to become a bandwagon, have that fork, the the devil's trident. Um, I'm going to wear that around while working out. Nice. Um, so, so to close out our, maybe like one of our last football episodes, just wanted to give you uh, some space, Kathy, to talk about sort of, well, I mean, I don't want to dictate the agenda, but mm-hmm. free writing, like how you felt, you know, how insulting and mean your co-host has been, like saying your life is a string of five and sevens and telling you that you're a part of the losingest team. Like all these mean things that your co-host, like starting a rival podcast with the enemy rival. Obviously, these are all jokes because um, I'm one of them. I mean, I, I don't want to speak for myself, but I try to support who, who's as much as I can to the extent of making a podcast and getting made fun of by all my other Michigan fan friends, uh, which is cool. Like I actually, for me, my takeaway other than sort of the, um, you know, the technical aspects of learning how to do a podcast is 
just we have such a wonderful and lovely conversation about football. We've really lived up to the promise of we text each other all these funny things about football. And we feel like just having the space and time to get together for an hour and talk about it, you know, in, in the in the era of so much content, I really think we do something interesting and we do talk about, you know, we listen to all these college football podcasts and we do have a little bit of corner to add, but I consider it sort of a great honor to, that you've dedicated so much energy and so much time and so much of your talent and your thoughts to following this beautiful game and spending an hour, you know, here and there talking about it with little me together with all the funny memes. And for us, it's the stories for us. It's the players, it's the narratives, it's the personalities. It's the, a lot of it is for me is the X's and O's and the smart, how smart people are, but also just how wonderful it is to be part of this tribe, this big 10, this conference that we love so much, the weather, the terrible, ugly defensive game that reflects um, the that re- that reflects the 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 nature, the weather of the conf- conference itself, and the old school philosophies of like run, run, pass. You know, all of this is. Um, I just am so excited that we got you know over a dozen of these, and it kind of brings a tear to my eye. It's kind of corny the way that you like it, but mm-hmm. I, I really am thankful and honored that we've you know, done this. And that's sort of my sort of couple second free write on where I'm at with this project. But I also wanted to open the floor uh, to ask you how, how you felt and what you've learned and, and how you feel about this so far, since it is, you know, we made something, we created mm-hmm. something and it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to compare this podcast has done so much for my football watching experience and I'm going to be corny too and compare it to a marathon. Um, So if you're, you know, I would say before I was kind of just a casual runner, right? Like you're someone who might run if a friend asks you to, or maybe you do a turkey trot on Thanksgiving morning, but maybe not, you're not really seeking things out. And that's the kind of football fan I was, you know, if people asked me to watch a game, I would, I would obviously root for my team. Um, If it was around, if it was convenient, then I would watch. But I never read articles. I never read recaps or listened to podcasts or Twitter. Like, I didn't care about any of that. And once we started this podcast, it kind of took over. Like, deciding to do this podcast felt like signing up to do a marathon. Because when you sign up to do a marathon, you are training rigorously. You have to watch your sleep. You have to watch what you eat. You're very careful to make sure that you don't get injured Um, There's so many things that are at stake and that you all of a sudden care about. And with this podcast, all of a sudden, like, I made sure that my Saturday schedule was cleared out to watch the game. I made sure that I read previews. I made sure that I read recaps. I made sure that I wasn't missing out on information on Twitter. Um, Jeff and I get paid absolutely zero dollars to do this, but I felt like this was my job. (laughs) Um, And this is all in my head. But it was so much fun being like, oh, well... I got to go read this article. It's my job. Or I need to watch this game and take notes because it's my job. And it's a job that I absolutely love. I mean, I had so much fun. I learned so much. And I don't think I would have paid nearly half as much attention or gotten so much out of it um, without this podcast. And I just have such a great co-host, you, Jeff, to think because, yes, you were very mean all season long with your jokes. 
and you're rooting for the choo-choos, um, but you're also the person who really inspired me and your knowledge of football from the first time I met you. I mean, you already had great knowledge, but the growth I've seen the past couple of years and from this season alone, I'm so impressed. I'm impressed with the both of us. And I think you mentioned it, but the most magical thing is that, you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, if I want to know how I felt before the bucket game in 2019, I know exactly how I felt. I can just go listen to it. And that's something that you can't take away. So I'm really grateful for this experience. I think I don't have any words to add. I think that we both gave sort of a good snapshot of uh, where we are at. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll record some basketball ones. We'll record some random off-season ones. But I think we're really pumped for rivalry week and the last game of the season. I think with a new playoff season, the way it works, um, the bowl games have a lesser significance, mm-hmm. right? Which means Saturday is going to be the biggest day of the year yeah. uh, for any non-playoff, non-Big Ten championship team. And we're going to roll into Saturday feeling really good. Uh, so thank you for uh, sharing how you felt about the podcast. It's been an honor. Um, I don't know if you have anything else to add. I don't. Jeff, um, it's, you sound like we're both going to go die or like retire. Um, <laughs> you know, we're still going to cover, as we said, the rival games and the bucket or not the bucket. Yes, we will cover the bucket that we win, but um, we will cover the bowl game. So so more to come. Um, but yes, definitely appreciate sharing our sentiments. I don't have anything else to add, Jeff. Um, I think we're good to sign off. So hoo-hoo. Hell. Yeah.